what's happening, guys. Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Did you guys miss me last Friday? I certainly missed all of you. I can't wait to talk to you guys about John Jones' latest tweets, Diego Sanchez splitting with his guru, Kevin Holland, going to school, and so much more. But first, I want to talk to you about a fight that I and all of you would love to see. He's a loudmouth Usman, said of McGregor when speaking to ESPN. He's a guy that can compete, but he's not the champion, Conor McGregor. He's not the double champion. He's not that guy anymore. He's just a guy that's in the UFC. If he wasn't Conor, hasn't done the things that he's done, he would just be a regular fight. The level of respect he gets now, he's just a regular fighter with a lot of money and a lot of hype and recognition. The old Connor, the hungry Connor, that was the fighter the fighters respected. Now that we don't respect him anymore, he's still a UFC fighter, but just a regular fighter. Loudmouth. Just a loudmouth, Usman said of McGregor. He does more talking than he does fighting. Conor McGregor's not someone I ever worry about. If he wants to fight me, he knows where to find me. He can call me and we'll make the fight happen. End quote. Wow. There's a lot on that. There's a lot on that for me because that is that is the best I've ever seen anybody come at Conor McGregor. Reason for that, that wasn't a game. What I just read to you, what Usman just said, that was just real. That was just Usman talking. He is not pining for a fight. He is not looking for attention. He was not being dismissive as a way of getting a different approach. That was just Usman answering a question off the top of his head and coming from his heart. You take that how you want. I'm sharing with you, red panty night is still a very real thing. And people sit around all the time and they try to strategize, how can I get the attention of Conor McGregor? Usman did none of those things. There was no strategy in that. There was no gamesmanship in that. And that might be the most interesting thing I've ever heard anybody say about Conor McGregor. And it's the truth that hurts, right? And there's a, there is a lot of truth in that. I mean, what do we know, guys? Basic life. What do we know? Anything that goes up must come down. We know this to be true. And that's all Usman's speaking to. He's saying, man, this guy used to be the double champion, but he's not now. This guy used to be the UFC champion, but he's not now. He's still running his mouth and talking like he did when he did all of those things. I used to really respect those things. I used to sit back and see and be impressed with how much success he was having. But he's not having that success anymore. And he's still saying the same stuff. And that's annoying to me. I'm paraphrasing. That's what Usman just said. That's interesting. And that one's going to sting a little bit because it's the truth that hurts. That one's going to sting a little bit. Being called just one of the fighters by the champion? I mean, this is it's one of these things. And before you think, well, Chael, why are we even discussing Usman and Conor McGregor? I think that fight is as likely as any fight. I really do, and I always have. I thought Masvidal versus Conor was a no-brainer that we would see someday. Just for example, we've seen Conor fight at 170. We know Conor likes weird challenges like this, and we know Conor likes championship matches. We are led to believe... If Connor beats Dustin, that Connor will then draw into Oliveira. Says who? Says who? Think about it from Connor's perspective, because that's the only perspective that's going to matter in this. The only one that we need to know, hey, what do you want to do, is, is to Connor. So imagine that Connor gets the jump on Dustin. Connor now becomes a number one contender. For what belt? That is a media creation, and we are led to believe that. 
But Connors never once said, after I fight Dustin, I'm going to fight the winner of Oliveira and Chandler. Or even more recently, after I beat Dustin, I'm going to go fight Oliveira. So go ahead and wait for me. He's never said that. So imagine you are Connor. You become number one contender. Where do you want to play that card if it's your choice? And for nobody would it be their choice. But I think that it would be for Connor. So look at the shoes that he's in. Okay, I'm going to go do a tough night's work. Which What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is I'm going to get my ass kicked. Would I rather have my ass kicked out of the weight class taking a bigger risk against Usman or would I rather have my ass kicked within the weight class by Oliveira? Both are going to be big fights. One is going to be a bigger fight. I'm just offering the other side of this coin for you that. This was not a call-out that I just read for you by Usman. Not on purpose. It is a call-out. It's a straight call-out. It just wasn't meant to be. There was no game being played there. That was Usman getting asked a question that I can tell he was not prepared for. He did not make it eloquent. He did not make it funny. He did not make it charming. He didn't make it anything. He answered the question straight. It just happens to be one of the more compelling things that's ever been said, and there's some truth to it, which is going to sting. What goes up must come down. Connor was on fire. Connor, I'm telling you guys, like it or not, he's still the guy. He is still the guy. He's not what he once was. He's still above what all the rest of them are. And he's not going to love this. He's not going to be crazy about this. Now, how he goes about that, I, I don't know. There's only a couple of options. Well, there's only a couple of options. Beat Dustin, beat Oliveira, go for champ champ again, but this time it's after Kamara's, or pass over Oliveira in the first place. And for Connor to come to the table and expect something from his partner, of which Oliveira has not provided and is not going to provide, is going to be a, a real thing. And Connor's going to consider that. Connor's going to consider what is this going to look like? What is the buildup for this going to be? We're going to have audience back in. I sell houses out. And I sell them out for big gates that get disclosed publicly. I'm, I, look, these are thoughts that nobody else would have to deal with. These are thoughts that Connor has. He's very competitive. In all aspects, he's looking around to make sure that building's full. He's reading the release to see how much the commission took in and got their 6% of He wants to know that he's got the biggest gates. I only bring that to you because Usman and McGregor's not off the table. And not only is it not off the table, McGregor and Oliveira is not on the table. That's tomorrow's problem. And there's a big big roadblock in front of all of this named Dustin Poirier. So I realize that we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking about talking. We're talking for the sake of talking. But all I got over here is a microphone. Why not talk? And I do think that's a compelling fight, by the way. I mean, before we get into the X's and O's of it, I do think Conor McGregor, I think the single best performance he's ever had was that against Donald Cerrone. I bring that to you because that was at 170 pounds. I think that I think there's, there's parts of Conor's game... And they're not the championship rounds. They aren't the latter part of the fight. But I think there are parts within Connor's game that he does better at 170. I really think that. Usman's a rough night out. Sure he is. But before you think that's going to stop Connor from doing something, if you juxtapose that with Oliveira, Oliveira's a tough night out. And so many times as fans, you'll try to guess what Connor's going to do, but it's really an inflection of what you would do. You're saying, oh no, I'm, I'm scared of Usman. I believe you. You should be scared of Usman. That doesn't mean Connor is. Connor can have a very realistic conversation with himself and acknowledge these guys are both tough guys. Both of these guys can beat me. If I do things right, I can beat both of them. Both of them can beat me. 
which one saves face to lose to more than the other. That's real. I don't imagine that's going to be the deciding factor for Conor McGregor or even a large slice of the pie, but it's a piece of the pie nonetheless. What you just got here organically from Usman on accident, which Usman did not even mean to make headlines with, he was annoyed with the question and trying to get back to topic. I mean, I still got the print right in front of me. He's a loudmouth. He's just a guy that's in the UFC. If he wasn't Conor McGregor and hadn't done the things that he had done, so he's speaking in past tense, that's very dismissive. He would just be a regular fight. Oh, that is, that is very mean. And it wasn't on purpose. It just was how the champ felt. But what I'm reading for you and what I'm sitting down breaking down for you that Usman did on accident is more than Oliveira on purpose will ever do. It's just the side of it. And Conor McGregor offers something different. Conor McGregor has a different set of skills. The commodity of all fighters is the performance in the fight, with one exception, which is Conor McGregor. He has a different commodity that he brings. And he's going to be looking for different things in a partner than other guys look for. Look, he's got to get through Dustin Poirier. Or this whole thing is a mute topic. Dana might come in and say, no, you're not going after Kamara Iza either. You got business and it's right here with Oliveira. But Dana might not. He might not. And finding guys to fight Usman is very tricky. Finding guys at 155, we got all sorts of studs. We've got all sorts of studs. At 170, we have a very clear champion. We have a very clear number one contender in Covington. It then drops off. There's a meaningful gap between the two guys I just named and your champion and your number one contender, Usman and Covington, and the field. It's meaningful. It's not that way at 155. That thing's going to be musical chairs. Those guys are so good and so competitive. Until Chemayev can come in and really establish himself, until Leon Edwards can go in and get that one good win, 170 is a little bit thin. I would very much be comfortable in telling you guys, if, if, right, this is futuristic, we still got Poirier, if... Dana is confronted with, where do I want to use Connor? And how? who else am I going to put with Usman? Who else am I going to put with Oliveira? He's going to answer the question of who to put with Oliveira a lot easier. Which adds a little bit of legs to what I'm telling you, that it is an outside shot, but a shot nonetheless. We're going to see McGregor and Usman. Let's move on from Connor and Usman to two other all-time greats that you guys would love to see get in the octagon together. Ali was talking with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's got a podcast. I think it's called Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. But Ali was on there, and Ali shared with Mike Tyson that Dana called. Now, stay with me. This is very relevant. That Dana called Ali and said, George wants to fight Khabib at 165 pounds. That's totally, I know that sounds like things you guys have heard before. It's not. It's different because Dana called Ali. That's an offer. That is not, hey, let me, let me tell you something funny that happened. Hey, let me make conversation. Dana called and said, George wants to fight. And he had a specific weight of 165. That's as much detail as Dana could get. That's an offer. That's way different than we've heard of anything Khabib-related since Khabib retired or Khabib and George getting together. Way different when Dana makes that phone call. That means somebody has convinced Dana that they are sincere and they want to do it. That somebody had to be George St. Pierre. Now, that 
it does come back, right? And this is starting to turn into the day-old question. Why do we we keep talking about this? And there was something very exciting. I could answer that question at one time. At one time, I could tell you, but Khabib had the belt. George wanted the three-peat. Khabib wants to be the greatest of all time. They both had something the other one wanted. Now that Khabib has left, there's still something on this fight meaningful. I mean, they're fighting for legacy, period. There is a debate that is going on. Who's the greatest of all time? Is it George? Is it Khabib? Like, this is a very real debate, and they want to end it. And one of them is going to be faced with the reality that all of these people behind their back and saying it's them can't say it anymore. There's a lot on the line. You're risking a lot. If you're George and Khabib, you're risking a lot, but you want a lot. You're greedy. And to be the greatest of all time, you have to be. So the mere fact that George is the one calling and saying, I want to do this fight, it just furthers the point. This is how you get to be the greatest of all time. You take it all. You are ruthless. You leave nothing for the other guy. You come in, you take it all. You want to be the greatest of all time? you got to have this mindset. I believe that Khabib very much has that same mindset, but Khabib said, I'm done. And Khabib was very set at one time. I'm going back, or I'm going back in my memory, but I do remember very clearly seeing interviews done by Khabib. Three four years ago that involved going to 170 pounds. And Khabib was very set on 155 as mine. You want me, you come see me, but you see me here. 165, I think, in retirement would be a little bit more comfortable. Khabib would even enjoy himself a little bit more. And I don't know how locked into the ideal and ideology of I'm a 155-pounder or bust he is. But it's all I have to go on. Even if it's three years old and it's off of my memory, I do, I do remember Khabib talking about that. And if you had these two guys fight, I mean, you have to think about it for, for what it is. This isn't a match. This isn't about punches and kicks. This isn't even about a title or contendership or money. This is solely about, I don't want there to be an argument. And half of the society is saying nice things about you that should be said about me. And I want those compliments, right? I mean, this is what they're fighting over. It gets pretty damn petty. But that pettiness is what, uh, that's intrigue. That's something we all as human beings can relate to. We can't all re relate to a belt. We can't all relate to a contendership or a ranking. We understand pettiness. We understand compliments. We understand getting the due that you feel you deserve, even if you have to take it cold-heartedly from somebody else. It's ruthless. The reason that Khabib and George want to fight or would be fighting is one of the most ruthless, sellable storylines I've ever heard. It's what I just laid out for you guys. It has nothing to do with tomorrow. Every fight does. Where does this fight get me? Where does it take me? What happens to me tomorrow if I do this today? This one does not. This one is I get to hold my head the highest of all men, and you don't. You have to really understand that. Both these guys get to walk around the community, the MMA societies, go to the shows, get the pat on the back, sit in the front row, have the camera come to them. They don't want the other one to have it anymore. It's not a matter of I get an A on the test. I hope you get an A too. I get an A on the test and you don't. It's a different level of competition. It's a very different mentality. And I don't want you guys to miss this. I mean, if this happens, I want you to understand fully what this is about. And it is from stopping somebody else who's basically a stranger to you, lives on the other side of the globe, you would never interact with. You want to take away good thoughts and deeds from him. You want to just do it just because you can. It's very, very cold. 
And I am wondering where this GSP talk comes from because GSP talked to Dana in some way that made Dana finally believe it was real. Dana finally decided, no, he's serious. He wants to fight. I'm going to take the next step. And he made a phone call. That was the most telling part of Ali visiting with Mike Tyson. And I felt like it went over Mike. It went over a lot of the audience thinking, ah, you know, I've heard this for two years now. Ah, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. You've heard GSP and Khabib, you've heard Khabib and GSP. You have not heard Dana talk to one, in this case GSP, and believe it enough to take that next step. It's very different. It does appear something's going on with GSP, right? And GSP is 40 now. And whether I'm a month or two off and he's 39 or, or, or he's 40 and we all owe him a happy birthday, he's 40. And something does happen to a man at that age. If that's your midlife. And some people call it a midlife crisis. And a midlife crisis is a very real thing, but it can be to varying degrees, right? You meet the real douchey guy that's got to go out and buy the car that he couldn't afford when he was 16 and try to relive his high school days. You get that guy. And you get another guy that wants to go out there and compete one last time because he's really realizing I can only do this for so much longer and I want to get it in. I mean, it's one of those things, but something does appear to be happening with GSP. I've never known George's sincerity on boxing Oscar, but I also haven't had to know it because George has a built-in mechanism to get it out of it known as a contract with Dana. So he can come out and, and say, oh, I want to do it. I want to do it so bad knowing he's protected and that he can't do it. This is very different if he calls Dana, asks specifically for Khabib, asks specifically for a weight class, and says, find us a date. Now, Khabib is retired. Everybody ticks on something, but what makes Khabib tick is very different than the, the masses. Khabib very much is rolled into the role of his father, of the coach, of the mentor, of overseeing the boys. And he's working very hard at trying to get more guys up in that loft with him. Maybe specifically at 55, Islam Makhlchev, but Khabib is working very, very hard behind the scenes to make sure that Islam gets the recognition and the opportunities that he feels Islam deserves. I only bring that to you because we don't see a lot of other fighters do that. A lot of other fighters don't have anywhere to go. A lot of professional athletes, all they have to look forward to is drugs and alcohol to try to fill the void that walking into those sold-out arenas provided for them. Khabib's was different. Khabib rolled right into this, and he's working very hard, and he's doing a very good job at it. St. Pierre looks like he's got one more left for himself. And it's, it's going to be one of these dream fights, guys, and I realize that it's two years, and this is going to get real tired and real old soon. But it is one of these dream fights. Much as we look back on why did we not make Anderson Silva versus Matt Hughes? Or why did we not make Anderson Silva versus GSP or Anderson Silva versus John Jones? Anderson seems to be the common, but he was the guy that was moving up a couple of different weight classes, was said to be the greatest of all time, surrounded one down with St. Pierre and one up of, uh, of Jones. And I think if we all look back and we're telling the truth, we regret that. I think if we look back even more recently, the way that Conor McGregor was, uh, was managed in the year 2000 is something that we made a mistake. Run him out there one time in January, a credible performance and gets Cowboy Cerrone, and then he gets he gets shelved. I think if we look back and were to tell the truth, we made a mistake. Connor was motivated. Connor's saying, I want to fight. As a matter of fact, I want to fight three more times this year, making four fights in total, saying this is keeping me straight and narrow. I want to redo. I had some mistakes. Get me back in there. And we kept him on the bench. I think we made a mistake. And it sounds as though we're not 
willing to make that same mistake as it pertains to GSP versus Khabib. And I wouldn't be sitting over here banging a drum for you guys. I've already looked like a fool. I've, I'm already the mark that got fish hooked and brought in on this thing. That happened to me two years ago. I wouldn't bring it to you. It's very different when Ali said, Dana called me. That changes everything. That changes absolutely everything. That is now ball in your court. What do you want to do? I know you said that you were retired. I know you walked away from the championship. This is a once in a lifetime. This is George St. Pierre. I will never have anything to call you on this again. If you don't take this, there's nothing that I will ever call you on again because I'll never be able to call you on anything as big. It brings closure to Dana, not for nothing. If I'm in his spot, I make that same phone call. And I become mayor of Get the Hintville as soon as I get my answer. Because there's nothing you're going to bring him that's going to be better than that. Do you, do you guys understand what's on the line here? I mean, if that works for you, if that's intriguing for you, that these two guys are so damn selfish, they don't want the other one complimented even in private. They want it all for themselves. If that's interesting for you, and it is for me, I'm doing my part. Speak up. I'm speaking up now. You need to speak up too. I don't know what it makes Khabib tick, but I know you guys have a lot of influence and you guys can speak and he will listen to some degree. What he decides will be up to him. But if there's ever a chance, it's never been more hot than right now, you need to say something. Coming up in a moment, I'll tell you the latest in the John Jones saga, but first, here's a word about one of our sponsors. Have you guys ever heard that you need to sleep at 68 degrees? Well, that's a myth. Science suggests that there is no universal sleep temperature to give you a deep or higher quality sleep. Moreover, our sleeping temperatures needs to change throughout the night as body temperature affects both your circulation and rhythm and sleep quality. However, the average mattress actually absorbs your body heat, giving you those nasty night sweats and causing restlessness. Gosh, I hate that. The new Pod Pro Cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermal regulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees or as hot as 110 degrees. The temperature of the cover will adjust based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep by up to 30% faster. Reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep. I can attest to this. Sleep 8 has done wonders for my sleep. I've been sleeping comfortably throughout the night and waking up a lot more restful. I'm so grateful. I never knew I needed more sleep until I got it. The Pod Pro Cover by 8 Sleep is so popular. It has garnered the attention from CEOs, pro athletes, and overall high performers who want to get sleep fit because good sleep is the ultimate game changer. Guys, 8sleep.com slash you're welcome to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $200 at checkout. That's a very generous discount for my listeners. That's 8sleep.com backslash you're welcome 
for $200 off at checkout. John Jones is letting us all know through a platform known as Twitter that he has something very big on the horizons. As a matter of fact, he is going to give birth to something that is so big it will be walking where no man has walked before. These are all the clues we have. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, chill, don't be the skunk at the garden party that's always teasing John. I have done nothing yet. I have done nothing but tell you what he said. And you already think that I'm about to tease him or that I'm in the process of teasing him. I have not done anything. He said he's going to give birth. I'm just sitting back trying to guess what could this be about. And it was a save the date, by the way. This was my favorite part of the whole, I mean, whether it's a literal or a figurative on the giving of the birth part, what I really enjoyed was it was it was a save the date. Do you guys ever get those for maybe a graduation or a wedding? Hey, we're getting married. We, you know, save this date. We don't have the venue booked out yet, but make sure you, you mark off August 16th on your calendar. And then like friends and family would actually do that. You would actually go, you would go save that date. Because somebody that you knew and cared about was getting married and they were including you in the ceremony. It was a save the date. John did a save the date over Twitter for an announcement of which I tell you right now isn't coming. He literally told complete strangers on the internet to stand by. By what? By where? What's the date? Do you have anything that you can stand by what? I was getting ready to delete my Twitter account, but now I won't because something big is coming from John. And look, there's only so many, so many options, right? We know it's not a fight. If it were a fight, a PR team at an organization called the Ultimate Fighting Championships located in Southern Nevada would be the ones putting this out. But they didn't. He's also shown us he doesn't have the ability or the power within the sport to pick and choose his own fights, and he's going to be sidelined watching Derek Lewis take on Engano on a night for an opportunity that should have and was offered to John himself. We know it can't be a sponsor. John didn't have meaningful, shocking sponsors when he was competing, when he was the champion of the world, when he was the, the youngest. And the youngest is a big deal. I lived through that for Mike Tyson. I remember Mike Tyson, he was the youngest boxing champion ever. He was doing Diet Pepsi commercials, specifically Diet Pepsi, but you, everybody wanted latch to this guy. And all I'm offering for you, it's not to backhand John, I'm attempting to guess what we're saving the date for, and I'm doing it by process of elimination working backwards. We know that it is not a fight. We also know that it is not a sponsor. Athletes within this space get sponsored when they are competitive athletes. Guys, we've talked about this before. You could have a billboard and be a marquee guy, or you could be signing pictures at your county fair. There's no in-between. It's very drastic. And it's a very much of an, an, an industry. And all sports are this way, but maybe even more exemplified through MMA. Of what is hot right now? What have you done for me lately? It's one of those, you just can't rest on your laurels. It doesn't work that way. So the guy who used to be the guy but didn't have sponsorships even then, we know it's not a sponsor deal. The guy who just turned down a fight publicly to the point that he will be sitting on pay-per-view watching somebody else do that opportunity, we know it's not a fight. He's also not a business. The figures, I'm, I'm going to give birth. 
That's an expression that is sometimes used by leaders of business. I've heard Tim Cook speak that way, by example, who runs a company called Apple. I've heard Bill Gates speak that way. And this is a figure. I've heard Elon Musk say similar things in a little bit cooler tone, quite frankly. John doesn't have a business. He doesn't have the opportunity to lay out a platform or any kind of ideas that's going to help anybody else. Not to mention, that's just not in his wheelhouse. It's very different. John's very selfish. To be really great in individual sport, there's a, there's a level where you have to be selfish. So again, before you think I'm putting John down, eh, there's a level of that. But you'll see the other side. Use Khabib. Khabib would be a great example of the other side. As soon as Khabib got himself a little bit of stroke and a little bit of run and a little bit of influence, what did he do? He got other guys on his team signed. Khabib used his influence to help others. John never did that back when John had influence. He's now down on his knees. He's literally about to watch somebody else have a fight that he wanted. And you can't get a sponsor unless you have a fight. Even if you have fights in this space, sponsorships are just hard to come by. Just one of those things. So what is it that John is going to be giving birth to? It's certainly not a meaningful idea. We can also check off the list that it's not going to be some level to do PR. He put out a save the date <laughs> for social media, but he didn't say what the date was. I mean, there's been some bad fight announcements. I, I told you guys, and I, I single-handedly changed the way Golden Boy Promotions did business in the sport of MMA. They held a press conference and they told us nothing. They had a press conference to let us know that a press conference was coming. Now that is the giant middle finger to any media member who has stopped what they're doing to cover you. But you guys remember this. When Golden Boy put this out, they had no date. They had no venue. They had no tickets on sale. They had no main event, and they had no distribution partner. They literally held a press conference and told us nothing. Nothing. Which is why the next time they tried to hold a press conference, nobody came. Which is why when it was finally established that there was a venue, a data card, on sale of tickets, nobody went or bought them because they didn't know because the media didn't tell them because there was a giant middle finger given to the media in the first place, which is now what John Jones has done. Save the date. I will be back with something earth shattering. Oh my God, John Jones has something. And John Jones is the fighter, right? Wow, it must be a big fight. Well, no, it's not a fight. Okay, but I, I don't have, I don't know John in any other way. What else could it be? Well, it's, it's something else, but it's big. Okay, great. But John, does John ever do things for other people? Is this about somebody else? Well, no, no, John doesn't do that. Either. Like, what could it possibly be? I just established for you in five minutes or less all the things that it could not be. So what's it going to be? All I can tell you is save the date and you're going to be wildly uninterested when it arrives. Well, speaking of John Jones saying things on social media, something that all of you Twitter trolls have been hot on this week is the relationship between Diego Sanchez and Joshua Fabia. Joshua and Diego split. Now, I kind of rather stay out of this thing. You know, I really would kind of rather stay out of this thing. I never understood that dynamic. I never really understood why the whole world, we all decided that we hated Joshua. Joshua came into a sport, which likely he didn't belong, doing a job that he never asked for and stood up for his guy. I didn't really see what was so terrible about that. On the other side of the coin, Diego, who was an expert in something, including training, not just the sport, but also in how you prepare for it, began to prepare in ways 
that a more rational Diego would have rejected. And that was a cause of concern. And as a community, to show our support to Diego had to turn on somebody, right? If, you're, if, if one guy gets to be the hero, it's got to be a villain. And we all decided that was going to be Joshua. Okay, fine. And don't pass judgment on me for that. I'm, I'm passing down for you what had happened. But the reason I am interjecting is I do know both of these guys. Stop. Stop. This has to stop. Joshua had come out earlier today, and he's upset, and he's angry, and he's starting to air the dirty laundry, if you will. But he hasn't done it yet. He's even said, I have footage, I have proof, I have tape, and I'm going to release it. No, stop. Don't do that. Stop. The threat was good, but we got to stop. There, there is a, a man code, and I do not mean male. I mean, it's human, human code. And there's certain things that are privileged, period. And I know when you're talking to your priest or your rabbi or your lawyer that those are built in protections by law. Excuse me. There's still things that are privileged. If you are in a relationship with somebody and you never write this down and you bring attorneys and you notarize this and you make this up, you don't need to discuss it. There are things that are privileged. You get up and you walk away. They walk away. You don't say anything. You may know what happened. They may know what happened. You guys may not even agree on what happened, but that's still between you guys. And if you break that code, it wouldn't be a matter. Like, let's just say, and Joshua hasn't done this yet, but please don't. If Joshua was to break this code and he was to bring out video and or evidence that could harm and or embarrass Diego as a way of defending himself, which everybody has the right to do, as a way of saying, I'm not the evil guy and I can prove it, which everybody would like to have. But if you do that at the expense of revealing privileged information, I don't mean this from a legal standpoint, classified information. I don't mean that from a legal standpoint. I mean this within human code. If you had access and or information to something because you were privileged and this person trusted you and you're going to use that to make them vulnerable, you're not going to make yourself look good. Nobody's going to look at it and go, oh my goodness, here's the facts and here's the evidence. They're going to look at it and go, I cannot believe that you just revealed that. That was private. That was after hours. That was behind closed doors. That was between two friends. That was between student and athlete. And there are a few bonds stronger than that. I mean, you'd have to go to father, son, brother, sister, man, wife, coach, athlete. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's a strong bond. And if anything ever happens between a coach and his athlete, that needs to be so quiet. That needs to be so quiet. And I know several people that have had to go through that type of a divorce. And I've judged every one of them. And I didn't base any of my judgment or look down my nose on anybody over the merits. I judged them how I went through life and how I viewed them on whether they protected and concealed classified information or they didn't. I don't know who's right here. I don't know who's wrong here. What I suggest for us as a community, because it's us that's making Joshua feel that he has to do this. And it's going to be us that's going to make Diego feel that he has to do it. Stop. We get enough drama other places. It's not worth it to pick on Joshua as a way of getting him to put out the videos, the evidence, to make Diego look bad. Man, it's not worth it. And then once we get our fill on that drama, we're going to come back and turn on Joshua to show our support to Diego in the front. Stop.
We got to stop. No media member should take that. I will tell you for myself, I, I, I will not draw a distinction between those who revealed privileged information or the media members who allow them to reveal privileged information. And if you try to sit back like the host and just kind of shrug your shoulders, go throw your hands up, go, wow, geez, I didn't, I didn't really see that coming. And you're using it to get clicks and to further your own career. I'm just sharing between me and you, I will not draw a distinction. Whatever damning information or, or harming or embarrassing that Diego has, that's private. Those videos should be destroyed. Diego has the right to certain amounts of private life. And the things that you would share with your coach who you fully trust, yeah, if he ever wanted to turn the gun on you and come out and embarrass you, he would, for sure he would. Sure. Joshua hasn't gone too far. He made a threat. A threat only has the power that the person being threatened allows it to have. It hasn't actually happened yet. Stop. Stop. That's privileged. And for any of you that help and enable Joshua or Diego in this matter to break that code and reveal privileged information, shame on you. And you will have me to deal with. Before I head out today, I want to talk to you all about something that I saw online this week that's getting a lot of attention. Kevin Holland has gone to AKA, he's going to work on his wrestling. Okay, you got to hold that thought. Wrestling very much like power, you've got it or you don't. And power is one of those things. And you got to take my word on this. A guy shows up in the gym and he's got it. Now, you got you can show him how to set it up. You can show him the movements. You can teach him to be a little bit sneaky so he can get to the target. He's got to learn range. There's a lot of things that needs to be worked on. It'll take many, many years, but he's either got the power or he doesn't. He can walk right up to the heavy bag, smack it one time. You go, okay, that guy's got power. Or he can't. And you can improve on somebody's power, but they have to show up with it. I only offer that for you. It's the other side of the coin. Wrestling, a large part, is the same thing. You've either got that balance and that time, and you've got that ability to scramble and to get your hips back. Wrestling's all about hips. One guy controls your hips, and this is what cost Holland. Every single one of his takedowns in his last two fights, the opponent got to his hips. Not to his body, not to his ankle, not to his head. They got to his hips. And he can either take those hips back. There's different things he can do. Underhooks, pivoting, motion. But it's still about control of the hips or loss thereof. And nothing else matters in MMA. No wrestling will work if you can't get a hold of fabric. Make sure you understand this, okay? This cost me 30 years. I traveled the world. I fought 50 men. I'm going to hand you something for free that I had to go through trials and turbulations to realize. But nothing in wrestling will work if it doesn't involve fabric. When, when people tell you in wrestling, grab a hold of the guy's ankle, what they're really saying is get a hold of the guy's shoe. If he's not wearing that shoe and you grab his ankle, you're not going to take him down. And when you think of it in this perspective and you start to understand that, that's where in MMA you realize there's only one part of the body that has fabric. That's the part that you have to attack for wrestling. Nothing else will work. That's the reason that if you watch the Olympic Games, you'll see lots of arm throws. You'll see lots of slide bys. You'll see lots of body locks. You'll see lots of high crotches. If you watch MMA, you will see none of the things I just said ever. And the reason is that's not where the fabric is. You have to attack the clothing. Okay, you've got to get those hips. Now, I bring this to you because there's not a lot of ways to work on your wrestling. And if you're a grown adult and you haven't learned how to wrestle and then you go try, it's very hard in that nobody wrestles except kids. So now what are you going to do? 
Are you going to be the 30-year-old that humbles himself and goes into a high school room and you're the big bad guy on TV fighting for money on pay-per-view and you've got a 14-year-old whipping your ass? If the answer is yes and you can humble yourself, then you can still learn how to wrestle, but that's what's problematic about wrestling. You can't go grab your yellow pages or even go to Google and type in a place in your area that has a gym for wrestling. It doesn't exist. You can catch some wrestling workouts on the back end of grappling class or on the back end of kickboxing class, you and a partner in the corner. But that's what wrestling is in this country unless you're talking about doing it with the kids. We have it in the junior highs. We have it in the high schools. We even had it in the colleges. You would be less embarrassed to go in and train with the colleges, but the colleges probably aren't going to welcome you in if you don't know what you're doing. You're taking up space, not to mention the NCAA and the NAIA have rules about people coming in the room. So when I tell you that you would have to humble yourself and go with the kids, that's truly what you would have to do. But I submit for you that Kevin Holland doesn't have the wrestling problems that it would appear. If you go and look at his last two fights and you look at how many takedowns he gave up and you deduce that those are wrestling problems, you're only getting part of the story. The problem that Kevin Holland was having, one, he was cooperating with those takedowns because he believed in being on his back. Kevin was very late to the party that jiu-jitsu doesn't work on the good guys. And I know that pains you guys to hear me say that. And I know I have to read in the comments, oh, Chael taking a shot at judo or Chael taking a shot at jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu does not work against the good guys. And it hasn't for a period of time. Now, I believe in jiu-jitsu. I have a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I would never let my son go into combat without understanding jiu-jitsu, but that's what it is. You have to understand it. You have to understand how your hips move, how you protect your arm, how to protect your neck from a defensive standpoint. Nobody offensively is winning fights, particularly main events and titles, from their back, and they haven't for decades. For decades! They're not winning their fights from their back. You're just not going to beat the good guys from there. And Kevin Holland is in a position of main events and co-main events. He's going to be fighting the good guys. I bring it to you because it's really very relevant because it's a psychological thing that Kevin has to flip the switch. First off, Kevin cooperated with those takedowns. He cooperated very much. Secondly, once he gets to the ground, even if you look at some of the greats like Damian Maya, they will instantly look to sweep. They will instantly look to reverse. They're not trying to mount an offense from their back. That is what Kevin needs to work on. And that doesn't require one day with Daniel Cormier. That doesn't require one day in a wrestling room. He needs to mentally make the switch because he has the ability to scramble fully. I've seen him do it. He's electing not to because he believes that he can win a fight off of his back. This, of course, is broad stroke, what I'm saying. I don't need you guys to correct me and tell me the one time that you saw somebody submit someone from their back. I'm not asking you that. I'm talking in, in a broad stroke. You want to be the guy on top. You need to learn how to do guard and learn how to do jujitsu because it's a two-man sport and you can't control sometimes where you're going to be and you need to be able to fight and protect yourself from there. But what Kevin is doing and the biggest problem that he's doing is trying to win a fight from his back as opposed to getting to his back to use that to a sweep, to use that to a scramble, to use that to stand back up. Conor McGregor's ground game is very good. If you go back, and I'll just use Conor because it's a name that I know you'll recognize. You go watch what Conor did to Chad Mendez on the ground. Connor won that fight off of his back from the ground. Connor never went for an armbar. Conor never went for a chokehold. Connor never went for a sweep. He let Chad Mendes use all this hard energy to get him down, and then Connor scrambled back up to his feet. Now Chad's in front of him, but now Chad's tired and Connor's not. If you can learn how to do that, you don't ever have to stop a takedown. 
If you can learn to sweep like Damian Maya, you can start the fight on your back every time. If you can learn to stand up the way that Connor did, specifically against Chad Mendez, the wrestler will use so much energy getting you to that position. If he cannot keep you there, it will make him quit. It will get him so tired that he will quit. And I only offer that because Kevin Holland wasn't getting underhooks, alternating to the opposite hip and starting to stand up. He wasn't coming inside, pulling the weight over top and looking to sweep. Damian Maya-esque, half-guard-esque. He wasn't doing any of those things. He was staying on his back with a false belief that he could win a fight from his back. I say this and I'm yelling, but I'm sh I like Kevin Holland. I like Kevin Holland a lot. I know Kevin's willing to work hard. And the mere fact that he got on an airplane and went to AKA, one of the toughest gyms in the world, tells me that he wants to be better at this. He wants to get good at this. But he's putting submission over position. That is a grappling sense. MMA must be position, then submission, in that order. And he's giving up position, one, willfully. This isn't that he doesn't know how to get his hips back or he didn't know how to get an underhook. He could have done a better job. The way he's defending against the cage, he needs a lot more work. But in all fairness, you could show him everything he needs to learn in well less than a week. It will take him months to perfect it, but you could show him everything he needs to know in well, well less than a week, two to three workouts. 60-minute sessions, you could teach him everything he needs to do. When he's on the cage, he's too high. He's got to lower himself. He's got to drop his hips. He's got to bend his knees. On the cage, out in the open, exact opposite to what I just said. More than anything, he needs to accept the fact that, yes, he loves jiu-jitsu, and yes, his coach is a jiu-jitsu guy. Jiu-jitsu has not worked in MMA from the bottom, from guard work, against a good fighter in years, decades. In literally decades. Hoist Gracie, if you're a real diehard, Hoist Gracie in 1993, when nobody had even heard the term jiu-jitsu, was out there in some of those fights, 15 and 20 and 25 minutes, to submit a guy from his back. Think of that. Hoist Gracie, who's the only guy in the room that knows jiu-jitsu, still needs 20 minutes to submit a guy. Now imagine if the guy on top knew jiu-jitsu, which is what you're dealing with now. It's very different. You're just not going to lock out a good guy. You can't spend time on the bottom against guys who understand jiu-jitsu. You don't have to be great at jiu-jitsu in MMA. You have to understand it. I'm only bringing that to you because Kevin Holland needs to change it up here. He just needs to change his approach and his strategy. That's one thing you will learn over time is how to win a fight. How to learn a match. Not, not, not to throw punches and kicks. You'll learn how to win them. How to manage time. How to manage the 10-9 must system. Holland can scramble very well. If you look at some of the stuff that he did with Jacare that ultimately opened up kicks and knocked him out, it was just this incredible finish. But if you look at how he did that, that was the in-between. That was the scrambling. The great ones fight in-between, right? When you're watching MMA, you think it's top and you think it's bottom. You have a Damian Maya, it's the in-between. The in-between the top and the bottom, the sweeps and the reversals. That's what Kevin did so well and flustered Jacare and ultimately opened up for the big kick to the mouth, but it got opened up because he wasn't closing guard, trapping him, holding him down. Come on. You got to get off the bottom. You got to create a scramble. Really go back. If you're Kevin Hall and you're listening to this, go back. Spend yourself 12, 15 minutes. Go watch what Conor McGregor did with Chad Mendes. That is as good of groundwork as you're going to see. And it had nothing to do with Conor trying to get a submission. It had to do with making him work. Go back and watch any one of Damian Maia's fights. It's not from the back. He starts on the back and then he comes on top. He uses a sweep instantly. It's that scramble. 
what any great grappler will have, any great wrestler, any great judo guy, any great jiu-jitsu guy that, that gives him a leg up in MMA is the ability to scramble. If you're one of these guys that goes down and stays there thinking you're going to find a submission, you just left your single greatest tool in the back. Now, Daniel Cormier is a great guy to go to at all of AKA. You can go ask questions. You can pick range. You can really gain knowledge. But it isn't a physicality. It's a, it's a mentality. And Kevin has got to accept the fight. You're not going to win a fight from your back. That doesn't mean you can't go to your back and still win a fight. You can't stay there. You have to force the scramble. You have to look for the in-between. You want to make a guy work for it. I think Kevin cooperated a little bit in his previous fights, but I think he cooperated because he had a false mindset that he was going to submit a good guy from his back. Good guys don't get submitted. That can upset you all you want. You won't offer me an example. And I've heard some of you try to do it, going, Chael, you lost to Anderson Silva from your back. Guys, broad strokes. Broad strokes. It's very uncommon. It's very rare. And you want to come into these fights with high percentage moves, high percentage techniques, high percentage strategies. If the night starts falling apart, you got to get a little bit more risky. You got a less percentage, higher reward. But it's the strategy of Kevin Holland that needs to change. It's not the physicality of Kevin Holland. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. The MMA news cycle keeps churning, so I'll be back on Friday. I promise to talk about all of that, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.